Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for the third episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Um, So today, I am really excited to be talking (laughs) to a good friend um, and also just my, I would say, my parenting guru, Lenore Skenazy. Hi, Lenore. Hi. You know, I always think like, oh, no, don't don't come visit me and think, oh, I'm going to find a perfect family with perfect kids. That's not true. I've I've met one of your I have met one of your sons and he is pretty close to perfect. So. um, So I'm going to. okay, so I think I. (laughs) So, okay, I think I see I feel like I have to officially introduce you because I know you so well and I love you so much. Mm -hmm. And you had such Mm -hmm. a huge impact on my life. You had a huge impact on a profound, I would say, impact on how I raised my kids. But for those like three people who aren't very familiar (laughs) with Lenore, who might be tuning in. Uh I hope you are. Um, Let me give like, I'm going to give your official bio. Um, Okay. So Lenore is a journalist by trade. She spent 14 years at the New York Daily News as a reporter turned opinion columnist and two more at the New York, New York, the New York Sun. That's, is that, that's gone now, right? Oh, my God. You know, you're talking about newspapers. This is a depressing way to start a, a podcast. So Wait, the, I'm not done. The New York Sun, but I didn't say the New York Sun doesn't exist anymore. And as of yesterday, the New York Daily News just got rid of its newsroom. Everything no. has to be done from people's bedrooms. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was Superman's newspaper. I mean, oh. if you watch the Superman movies sure. and there's this giant globe in the lobby, that was where I used to work, The Daily News, which they called The Daily Planet in the movies. But really, that was it. Yeah. And now there's no newsroom anymore as of yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's amazing. Um, okay. So in 2008, after her column, why I let my nine-year-old ride the subway alone landed her on every talk show from the today show to Dr. Phil, uh, Lenore then founded the book and blog free range kids. This is where I come in. This is where I really (laughs) got to know Lenore. Um, these, uh, these launched the anti-helicopter parenting movement and, uh, garnered her the nickname America's Worst Mom. Uh, she got a promotion of sorts when Discovery Life tapped her to host the reality TV show World's Worst Mom. Um, she's lectured mm-hmm. everywhere from Microsoft to DreamWorks to the Sydney Opera House. She received her BA from Yale and her master's degree from Columbia. Jeez, that is, you are, you're no dummy. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite line. <laughs> this is my favorite line from this bio, which I am certain you wrote. She lives in New York City with her husband and her beloved computer. <laughs> and her sons have safely flown the coop. Um, so Lenore, my connection to Lenore is obviously the free range kids, how to raise self, uh, safe, self-reliant children without going nuts and worry. Um, I would say that her, that your book, Lenore, launched what I would call a revolution in parenting. Um, it's certainly a movement of parents who are tired of constantly having to hover over their kids. Um, and and I and for me, I wanted to parent more in the way uh, that my parents did, which involved a lot of mm-hmm. please go away and entertain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Another right. another way of of sort of um, capturing what you do. So um, so mm-hmm. I want to you know I I want to talk to you about that, but. Maybe you could first um, talk to us about this. You know, I, I say this new organization. It's not really new. I think it's been around for, what, five, four or five years now. Um, you mean Let Grow, right? Yes, Let Grow. So tell us about Let Grow and what are the, some of the projects that you're working on with Let Grow? Oh, my gosh. What a lovely softball question. Um, <laughs> so, no, really, I appreciate it. So. So here's the deal. As you said, I let my son ride the subway. I started the the movement and the free range kids that said our kids are safer and smarter than our culture gives them credit for. And yes, I went around the world lecturing about it and people would nod along. People agreed, you know, they really loved their own childhood. They loved getting on their bikes and riding around town and not coming home till the streetlights came on. Right. And, and yet, and yet they just couldn't get to that point with their own kids. And, and I, that's why I, you know, calling it the anti-helicopter parenting movement is sort of not fair because we all became helicopter parents and we didn't mean to. And when everybody is doing the same thing, it's a culture shift. It's not individual neurotic overprotective parents going, you know, going crazy with worry. It is a society that has started reinforcing a new 
parent, I hate the word paradigm. So forget that I'm about to say it. Parenting <laughs> paradigm, parenting style that yeah. said that, you know, your kids should always be with you or with another adult, because if they're alone, they're going to be unsafe or they're not going to be getting enough, you know, enrichment that they can get ahead. So if you could, you know, in the olden days, you might have sent Julie and her siblings out to play in the park, but now it's, you know, you're going to go to lacrosse, you're going to go to gymnastics, you're going to go to Kumon or Chinese or you name it. There's yeah. something where an adult is going to be teaching you something. Um, maybe you get a trophy, maybe you get a grade, maybe you get a line to put on your resume as you're applying for college. But what you don't get is free time, fun, figuring things out on your, your, on your own, uh, problem solving when your bike breaks down and you're three miles from home. So, so the, the society had changed so much and there were plenty of parents who were sad about it, um, but they really didn't feel that they could do anything differently because um, the social norms were constant supervision. Yeah. And so three years ago, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote The Coddling of the American Mind, and Peter Gray, who wrote the book Free to Learn, which I highly recommend. I actually recommend both those books as just really eye openers about how kids learn when they're curious, when they're doing something just for the fun of it or just because yeah. they're so driven to, you know, make this skateboard better. And, you know, and I'm going to work on the bearings and I'm going to and I'm going to, you know, shellac it this way or that. When they're doing that, they are getting so much education and we just don't recognize it as education because it's not in a classroom. So anyways, Peter Gray who wrote that book, and Jonathan Haidt from The Coddling of the American Mind, and Daniel Shuckman, who was the longtime chairman of FIRE, which fights for free speech on campus. Yep. Everyone was worried with about, it seemed like kids were becoming um, anxious and depressed and fragile and sensitive. And these are not things that you want for your kids to be. Right. You want them to be resilient. You want them to be able to, you know, shrug off some problems or solve them, or, you know, come to some resolution, compromise with their friends and go forward. And the theory was that maybe they were arriving on campus fragile like this because um, it had started sooner. And right. who was fighting the trends, the, the parenting and psychological and educational trends that were taking away kids' normal curiosity and resilience and replacing them with anxiety and depression. Of course, they found me, and I'm very glad they did. And so together we founded Let Grow. It's not Let it's It great. Grow, which is a <laughs> yes, Let Grow is fine. <laughs> let It Grow, bad. Uh, let <laughs> Let Go is not what it is. And actually, yesterday, believe it or not, I was on Dax Shepard's podcast. I got a brag oh, here. Awesome. And I said, and, and you know, he's married to Kristen Bell. And I said, and it's not even let it go. <laughs> you know? it's, That's wow. How often do you get to do that? Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> so anyway, so it's let grow. And let grow, uh, our goal is not to change minds. Our goal is to change behavior. Because uh, there's a state, you know, there's like a phrase that I think says it well, it's not my phrase, but it's that a lot more people change their minds after changing their behavior, yeah. than change their behavior after changing their minds. Like if you start exercising, you know, you might think like oh, everyone should exercise, but thinking everyone should exercise and getting yourself to get up early and do that morning run, it, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, uh, downtime, you know, there's, there's a big gap between yeah. the, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, me doing it. So this is devoted to, yeah, me doing it. So let grow, trying to come up with and has come up with some cool ideas that make it easy and normal and legal and fun and cool to give your kids some more independence. And um, we can talk about those, but basically that's our mission is to make child, first of all, to make people recognize that taking independence out of childhood is not a minor thing to take out, to replace it with, you know, car rides to the soccer field every day and never have them make their own game or explore in the woods or even just stay home and noodle around with something just because it interests them. That's, that's a big, um, it's like Jenga. You can't take out yeah. all these parts of childhood. The, you know, the confusion and the disappointment and the betrayals and the excitement of, of adventure and exploring and um, making a friend and doing something on your own and still expect your kid to have a solid foundation um, emotionally, I'd say, socially and emotionally. So we're well, just I, trying to make people recognize independence is key and then make it easy to give it back. Well, I think, first of all, that's, I mean, I have been trying to do that myself and it, and I, I really relate to this idea of, you know, believing it and then doing it are two, that's mm -hmm. a struggle that I've had. And I think I've been fairly successful with allowing my kids, but I do have an internal struggle and I do still worry. And I don't know that you'll get 
rid of that entirely. But I, I, I don't. Why? Yeah, I wish. Yeah, But I do. But I. But I, I have in practice. I mean, I really my kids do a lot of things independently, and I'm proud of myself. But you know, I and I want to. I want to go back to let grow and talk specifically about your outreach to schools. But I. But first, I just want mm-hmm. you to talk a little bit about. It goes beyond helicoptering your own kids, and you oh, know sure. that I've dealt with this personally. It's about helicopter. What I think the most dangerous part of helicopter parenting. Look, if people want to helicopter parent their kids, I mean, I don't think it's good and I don't think it's good for their kids. And they're going to go, you know, you have this, you know, you have all these studies showing kids go off to college and have like anxiety attacks because they don't know how to live. They don't know how to take care of themselves. I may not agree with it, but if you want to do it, that's fine. But it's a matter of helicoptering other people kit, other people's kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, our our friend Bethany Mandel, you know, she's been attacked mm-hmm. for letting her leaving her kid in the car for you know two minutes. I've been I was a, a confronted uh, by someone for leaving my kids in the car for ten minutes, and it was a it, all the windows were down. It was a sixty degree day, um, and so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about you know how much have has your movement, and I really do think this is your movement. How much has it made an impact in that area of telling people that, you know, mind your own damn business and, and, you know, as long, I mean, obviously, and look, I don't need to say this, like, obviously if you're leaving a kid on a, you know, 90 degree day, 80 degree day with the windows rolled up or sunny day with the windows rolled up, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, letting my eight year old ride his bike around the block or go run an errand for me or, you know, young kids having, Mm -hmm. you know, summer jobs. I mean, I'm interested in, I mean, this is, it's become, parents are arrested. Parents have been prosecuted. You know, how much of an impact do you think you've made and also Let Grow has made in this, in this area? Right. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about mind your own business, because that's really interesting, because I feel like the, the, the public has been misled into the idea um, that sort of leads to helicopter parenting that all children are in danger all the yes. time yes. unless there is an adult with them. So, I, you know, we're, we're just redoing our crime statistics page because crime statistics are just kind of extraordinary. Crime has been going down so dramatically since the early 90s. And right. yet, if you do, not me, if, if you know, uh, Gallup does these polls to ask, you know, is crime going up or down? And the majority of people still think it's been going up. Right. And they've been thinking this all along as it's been going down. So I feel like the these busybodies, to a certain extent, are, first of all, they're misinformed because it just, you know, if you turn on the TV or you look at Facebook, it seems like everybody's being snatched off the street and sex addict, <laughs> which thank right. God isn't true. And, and for the record, I spoke with the head of the Crimes Against Children Research Center. That's the center that does the reports for the FBI, crunches the numbers. And uh, the the head of it is a guy named David Finkelhor. And I asked him, you know, how many kids have been taken from their parents while they were shopping at Target or Ikea or, you know, just doing some regular old errand and, uh, you know, taken from the parents, snatched away before the parents could say stop and sold into sex slavery. And the answer was, I, I think you can guess from the tone of my voice, what, what's the number? What do you think, Julie? Zero. <laughs> zero. The number is literally zero. Yeah, just like the number of kids poisoned by a stranger's candy. I mean, for some reason, we really love believing that there's yes. a lot of, there's just a lot of, you know, very normal looking situations that turn out to be as horrible as anything on earth. But really, um, you know, most times a horrible situation, most times a normal situation is a normal situation. But can I I, poison your kids? And can I just can I just also interrupt for one quick second, say there is this weird there is this weird thing in Hollywood where it's I mean, there are entire shows dedicated to like crimes against kids. You know, there's a oh, it's it. I mean, there's a fetishistic kind of obsession with. It that yes. really I find disturbing, and frankly, I find a lot of things disturbing right. in in Hollywood. But I I I think that also adds to it, like you say, you know, this the constant right. drumbeat that this could actually right. happen when the number is zero. Right. right, right, right. Well, first of all, it's it's such an easy way to engage a viewer or a reader. Right. I mean, I think of it as like a cheap 
trick, really. If you know, if yes. on page three, this adorable child that we've just seen her, you know, celebrating her birthday and clutching her unicorn, at page three, she's dead in a ditch. Well, you've grabbed most readers, not me, right. but a bunch right. of readers. And certainly Liam Neeson has figured out how to mm. how to fake an entire genre of, of snatching, which is yes. to be to have your child snatched while on a Parisian vacation and sold at a, a very stylish um, auction on a yacht to a Saudi prince. I mean, it was just, it was, it was as um, florid as like the, the black and white movies of the silent movie era, you know, when everyone's worried about white slavery and, and yet almost people, classy. people make their, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost fun. Um, anyways, the thing is that your brain is taking in all this information and it would be great if all of us, well, it might be bad. But if we were totally rational, we would say, that does not happen. Let me look at the statistics. I am going right. to do my research. But we don't, right? We go, oh, my God. We're not Vulcan. Think, we're not Vulcan. We, right. we haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, so you see, I mean, I think there's like 17 Liam Neeson movies at this point on the same theme. <laughs> and um, boy, those Vulcan kidnappers are just. I mean, dizzy, uh, dizzy, honestly, dizzy. if I could do it over, why am I? Why am I trying to reassure people? There's so much more money no. in scaring people. Right. I know, I know. I was if I, I always felt that way too. It's like, why did I write free range kids? It's like, lock your kids up. Here's why. And then it's like, did you hear about this horrible case? And once I saw a movie about that, and don't forget all the law and order episodes. Right. So so your your brain is taking all this in and then if there's a case anywhere, anytime, when when I let Izzy ride the subway at age nine, I was getting calls from people saying, What about Aton? Who was it was a tragedy in New York. A kid yeah. was stolen from a bus stop, but it was in nineteen seventy nine. And this was in 2008. And so if you have to go that, back that far to come up with an app, you know, a story, why are you thinking about that horrible thing instead of the intervening well, 30 years this, when, this, when 180 million kids went to the bus stop and weren't taken? Well, this pervades every aspect of our life. I mean, you mentioned the bus stop. I remember, you know, gosh, my school district, the officials in my school district, they, uh, they're used to my complaints, but, um, you know, they canceled school over and over again for some, some, you know, minor snow. Um, but then, but then the snow had been shoveled and they had packed the, the, the snow into these piles. Okay. And again, this is Washington, mm -hmm. DC. We're, we're a Southern city. I mean, well, I live outside. I live in Alexandria, mm -hmm. Virginia. We're a, we're a Southern city and we don't get a ton of snow, but we happen to get one of these freak storms. But again, the roads were cleared. Everything was fine. <clears throat> But the snow had been piled near bus stops, which was like genius. And so they were afraid that kids would climb, then slide down, then get in the road and be <laughs> run over. Okay. And I say, wow. Okay, okay. First of all, that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, there's probably some, I mean, you can't just, you can't make rules based on this, like, like, oh, what if this happens? Because you could also right, have a car right. lose control, like, an, you know, an elderly person who loses control of the car and plows into the kids. I mean, you could do this all day. You, you talk about sometimes the falling mm -hmm. chandelier, the falling piano, you know, it's like, you know, you can't mm -hmm. not walk down a street because you're afraid something might hit you on the head. You know, a bird could die mid-flight and hit you in the head, you know. So, <laughs> right. um, I, I, so, but it's interesting, too. And we don't have, I, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk about school school reopenings. And I'm getting off track here because I want to, I want to get back to let <laughs> I, grow. I, and, yeah, this is, so, but I want to get, I want to go on to the, the, the story about the, the snow in front of the bus stop. Because <laughs> what's interesting is that we reward the most fantastical uh, imaginary, I, you know, yes. people who can come up with worst case scenarios yes. are considered the most caring. Right. right. And I always right. call, it, I call it worst first thinking because after the, the thing that took me years to figure out is when I was interviewed over and over again about why did you let your son ride the subway by himself? Um, and I'd say he wanted to do it. We're always on the subway. It's, you know, statistically extremely safe. Um, you know, I knew where he was and what he was doing right. and we discussed right. it before and he could read a map. He speaks the language, blah, 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 blah. And, and the question that followed up almost inevitably was, but how would you have felt if he hadn't come home? Oh, I know. And, and what was interesting about that is that, um, first of all, he had. <laughs> so, and then secondly, you know how I would feel. Right. <laughs> so why are you asking? Uh, and it took me a long time to realize I was not being asked in the sense of a normal question, I was being chastised because That's I right. had done wrong think. I had right. thought about 
the literal odds and my yeah. kid and my city and my experience in the city and his readiness as opposed to going to the worst case scenario and yeah, to yeah. be a you know considered a good parent and i guess a good school administrator now you have to go to that dark place first i call it worst first thinking think of the worst case scenario first and yep. proceed as if it's likely to happen so when yeah. When there's some snow in front of a bus stop and instead of saying, wow, it's going to be inconvenient or I guess they should stand a little to the side of the bus stop or, um, you know, or trusting guess, kids you know, not or trusting kids to stand to the left of the pile right. of snow. You know, that's another thing. That's one thing that I've always loved about you is you truly love kids. It's one thing that I think is just is is I I I think is so often not talked about is how we treat kids like they're stupid. And one thing you've always done is say, you know, look, maybe we should trust these kids not to, not to always make stupid decisions. You know, kids are smarter right. than we give them. You say this all the time. Kids are smarter mm -hmm. than we give them credit for. And in, and when you mm -hmm. limit them, you limit their ability to test themselves, then they just, mm -hmm. they don't know. They don't, they don't, they maybe don't make as good decisions because they haven't had to. Um, but you know, yes. this, yes. this is interesting. Smart? This, <laughs> this sort of worst case scenario. I don't, think a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, I, I sort of am in the regulatory field. I, I cover, I write about the regulatory sort of, um, you know, world. And, mm -hmm. and what I, I don't think people know though, is this, that this worst case scenario is actually, um, is actually a, a way in which governments regulate. Um, it's called the precautionary principle. And I always I say, say it. Yep. Yeah. The precautionary principle. It's like, if it hasn't been done before, you better not do it because it might yeah, not it's, be safe. It's the better safe <laughs> it's than like, sorry. It's the better safe than sorry rule. And you think about a mom. I've had this happen to me. You know, I say, hey, can my, can your, I, you know, my kid would like, you know, this is very, very modern day. Hey, can we do a play date? And, you know, I found mm -hmm. myself saying things like, uh, I, you know, I don't really want to host a bunch of dirty children in my house. How about they mm -hmm. meet up at, at, you know, the, the local elementary school, right? Yeah. Bike and, <laughs> and then go, you know, shoot some hoops or whatever. And, you know, I would get the, well, is who's going to be at the playground to watch them yeah. while they play. And, you know, I would kind of mm -hmm. get this sense of, well, it's better, it's better just to be safe than sorry. And I, you know, in my mind, I'm hearing <laughs> all of the, you know, the ways in which I've heard products actually regulated in that way. It's, it's very stifling. So this, this sort of thought mm -hmm. process goes way beyond parenting. Um, mm -hmm. it, it gets into the marketplace, which, you know, I feel like that's a whole nother podcast, but this is, per I mean, this is really pervasive in our society in all areas. And certainly we're seeing that now with the reopening of the schools, with coronavirus, where you have people mm -hmm. saying, look, if, if one child is infected, I mean, look, you know, we can't take that risk. Meanwhile, we have some serious emotional and psychological problems going on. We have vulnerable sets of, uh, of the population of, you know, children who are from uh, poor families and minority students that don't do well or don't have the equipment to do virtual learning. And so it's interesting mm -hmm. to me that we have to consider that one most horrible outcome and they're setting policy on that. What, what are your thoughts about school reopening? Oh there's so many thoughts. Um, actually, I haven't even, believe it or not, because my kids are older, I haven't right. truly thought what I would do if school was reopening in my neighborhood and my kids were young. I really, I can't say what I would do. Um, it, it's as simple as that. I'm, I'm agnostic on that, and I'm hoping that parents are all muddling through it and, and allowed to make their own decisions, and whatever decision they make is legit. I mean, I think yeah. if you want your kids to go back to right. school and the school is right. open, that's, that's not a cause for shame. If you want your kids to stay home, if God forbid you make your own pod, you yep. know, you're not being a terrible person. You're just trying to figure it out. We all right. are. Um, there, were, there were so many other things that you're saying um, that I kept meaning to uh, wanting to <laughs> think about and chew on. One is a better safe than sorry is an expression that implies if you're not safe, like whatever we've de decided safe is, you will be sorry. Yes. And that's not true. I mean, it's it's a bad framing. It makes, I mean, it makes the precautionary principle, which is don't do anything if it hasn't been done before because it might not be safe, into something that makes sense because if it's if you're not safe, then you will be sorry. But it's possible. And in fact, we wouldn't have civilization as it exists today right. if right. people weren't trying things that were new ideas and some of them weren't safe. And some people, you know, you know, 
there was Apollo 13, you know, there was, right, right. there was a, you, you can't make any progress if your only goal is utter and complete safety and that any, anything that goes wrong will be cause for either a giant lawsuit or you being thrown in jail. And so when you're asking about, you know, schools thinking about what they can do and whether, you know, whether it's reopening during COVID or, you know, letting kids come to school when the snow is piled up, if they are worried that they will be sued because they can't be God and make sure that everything is perfectly safe in in every step of the way. Sure, you want to make your school safe and you don't want to, you know, cover the floor in, you know, marbles, you know, that's a bad idea. And uh, you don't want to say, you know, every kid gets a machete and now it's time for recess. But, uh, you know, probably bad. And I I might even be inclined to sue my school if that was what they did. But, um, but, but the idea of the waivers all the time for everything of like, you know, we're going, when my kids were little and they were going to a field trip, quote unquote field trip, which was to the park, that was like two blocks from the school. I had to sign a waiver as if they were going to Gambia, you know, and <laughs> would they have to get their shots first, you know, would they have to learn a little language, you know, it was yeah, like, yeah. are they going by boat, you know, wickety boat. <laughs> so, so the weird thing is, once again, we're getting back to the idea that if you are not only cautious, I like caution, I might say I am a cautious and nervous parent, um, even though people think I'm not, but, you know, I like helmets and mouth guards and seat belts and, yeah. um, I, I like vaccines. I like I like things yeah, that keep yeah. you uh, allowed to to live your life. Um, you know, seatbelt doesn't change the fact that you're getting there at the same time, and you know, a vaccine can prevent you from getting a disease, and um, you know, a helmet while you're riding a bike. I pretty much think those are great. So, yeah, but, so um, those are choices, and and they they make sense to me. But to be fantasizing that there's something crazy about taking twenty five nine-year-olds across the street to the park to the point where it needs to be legally, you know, notarized before you're allowed to do that, that's turning regular life into this, first of all, danger zone and then legal minefield. And I, I'm, I would love to dial back from the idea that we should be seeing everything through the lens of what could go tragically wrong and who could we blame and what, well, you know, and, and how can we sue? Well, this, this, cautious well, you talk about you know the waiver I mean I know your kids are you know you've got one still in college so your yeah. kids are are, yeah. are way past the phase of needing you know of being in that so you're telling a story that's quite mm-hmm. old that's you know over a decade old or so and and you think about it that that culture of mm-hmm. waivers and nervousness was well has has mm-hmm. been well established for, uh, by today that that cautious mm-hmm culture has been well established mm-hmm. and you think now sure. the coronavirus hits i mean mm-hmm. of course of no parent should be shocked that schools are staying permanently closed if they are mm-hmm. going to make parents you know give a blood you know give the results of a blood test and like a security background test and and sign a waiver and do all sorts of stuff to take kids across the street when, you know, they're mm-hmm. not going to open schools. And so, and, and so we're in, uh, you know, we're in this situation, what, what bothers me, and I don't want this to turn into a school reopening conversation, although I, I swear I could talk to you for uh, four hours about a variety of topics, but, you know, Actually, the, I, I'm really interested in, in really is the, it is the issue of our day. It is, and it is, I it is, be, it uh, is and the, I'm so agnostic. So talk to me about well, what you're thinking makes you know, sense and doesn't. Well, you know, in the nature of this podcast, you know, I'm talking about, I, I really believe that, and, and, and you have also influenced me in this way that I believe parents should be able allowed to, you know, parent the way they see fit. Right. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And you've always been so kind about like, you know, even, even with helicopter parents, you've been very sympathetic to them and said, oh, I get it. I understand why you're nervous, but these things are good for kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, what bothers me so much is, and this is, I'm, I'm more, talking about the public schools here because I think there is a lot more flexibility in private parochial schools, um, at least from, mm-hmm. from my own experience talking to other parents, mm-hmm. there is no mm-hmm. choice. You will do what we have decided and there is no flexibility. For instance, my children. Wait, is that true? It is true. Well, at least in my case. So my okay, school district. Of, okay. Yeah. Tell me. Well, my school district is not being flexible. 
And when I talk about hmm. flexibility, I'm talking about, for instance, I wrote an essay in the spur, uh, actually in the summer about how my kids fared with the virtual learning. And it, let's just, I'll just give mm -hmm. you a hint. They didn't do well. Okay. And <laughs> my youngest who doesn't have any learning disability doesn't have any learning problems. He struggled mm -hmm. so much. And it was because he just, wow. there was like four, 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 there would be for one little assignment, there would be four different programs. Like he had to watch a video, then he had to watch a video over here. Then he had to do a questionnaire. Then he had to go to a different program to turn in the questionnaire. So he had to be on, so there were like four different, and it was just too much for him. He's, you know, he's a little kid. He's 10 years old. Right. And also I don't, yeah. they're not mm -hmm. online a lot. So I, um, mm -hmm. So I, I asked the teacher, I'd like some paper-based stuff. I have a printer. I have a mm -hmm. computer. Can you please email me mm -hmm. this stuff? Mm -hmm. Nope. 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 We need to no. do it via the computer. So what I'm talking right. about is I, it's because the school district itself has created a system, mm -hmm. an online system, mm -hmm. and well, that's the way they're doing it. And so grading is via this for mm -hmm. this online format and turning mm -hmm. things in is via this. So if you send a paper based, well, you can't then turn it into the teacher. And, and, and there, there, I, I, look, I think some individual mm -hmm. teachers, I just happened to get one who wasn't really very flexible. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. there's, but the bottom line is there's still a grading system and it's all virtual and they've all set this stuff up virtually. And what makes me mad is we have a distribution system in this country, a nationwide distribution system where schools are closed are, are physically mm -hmm. closed and yet they're still handing out meals. And, and, and I'm not arguing that the, mm -hmm. many of these kids mm -hmm. need these meals. If there is mm -hmm. a logistics system already set up a, a distribution system, a very sophisticated distribution system set up to mm -hmm. hand out bologna sandwiches, why can't teachers curate uh, some paper-based products that they can, that kids can then get, and then they can be turned in? I just don't believe it's not possible. And the bottom line is there's not even conversations about it. And so I think for kids who don't really do well in an online format and a virtual format, mm -hmm. I wish mm -hmm. that there were more choices. I wish that there was more flexibility about this. And I'm not asking, I look, I, I also want my kids to go back to school. I have thought about this. Mm -hmm. I've looked at the data, mm -hmm. just like you with crime statistics. Mm -hmm. I've looked at the data mm -hmm. on the amount of children who've been hospitalized, the number of deaths, the number of infections. And I am confident that this is not a disease that is really risky for kids. And so I'm I, with, mm -hmm. with certain measures in place, with hand washing stations and li mm -hmm. you know, limiting the number of kids in the classroom and wearing masks. I'm perfectly fine with doing that. They're doing it in South Korea. They're doing it in many Asian countries. They're doing it in Europe. And so I'm kind of frustrated mm -hmm. by this sort of, we're closing the schools. But at the same time, I understand, and I'm not going to argue that, in, in light of that, I wish there was more flexibility for parents so that parents who do have kids who struggle with virtual, there mm -hmm. was a little, you know, and frankly, you know what would be really nice, Lenore, is a little bit of what? sympathy. You know, sympathy. I write the I write the school administrators. I write, and they just there's no there seems to be no sympathy about kids who who are struggling. One of my children has an IEP, which is an individualized education um, uh, plan, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. and they they have said now there is there is a good amount of data out there and research that shows you know certain kids have more trouble than others with the virtual mm -hmm. learning, and one of these groups is kids with IEPs, ADHD, autism, ADD. And mm -hmm. the, and my school district just announced that even IEPs are going to be, they say they're going to meet the IEP requirements with virtual learning. And so it just frustrates wow. me that even for that demographic, the ones that are most vulnerable in this situation, not to the disease, mm -hmm. but actually to not mm -hmm. learning, um, mm -hmm. so, you know, but I've, I've gone on a long, a long time here. And I think if you, if you hear me talking and I want to ask you about mm -hmm. this and this will kind of get us back on track. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, you can tell I'm very worried, worried academically. I'm worried about what they, what the school is going to teach them, what, you know, they're going to walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I read a, a Washington post article by that you wrote about try and very respectfully telling parents to just take a deep breath and relax a little bit about the like sort of mm -hmm. loss of education. Mm -hmm. One thing I tried and I try to listen, I try to hear your voice in my head when I'm freaking <laughs> out about this stuff is yeah. there's other yeah. ways that kids can learn. Talk to parents because I, because I feel like I've just freaked everyone yeah. out with this, with this diatribe. Talk to me about how, you know, your kids learn in other ways. It's not necessarily what they're going to learn on some virtual learning application from their school. 
Right. Um, sorry, I just thought I heard my husband in the other room calling <laughs> me, but he wasn't totally not needed in this family. Um, so, you know, what's interesting to me is that we, we did a study. Um, we surveyed 800 parents and 800 kids ages 8 to 13, um, not the same parents of the same kids, but and then we did it again um, twice during the pandemic so far. And we asked parents questions that weren't about academics. We asked them, um, are you seeing your kid develop any new interests? Are, uh, are they doing things independently now? Are they helping around the house? We gave parents an, a list of adjectives, uh, you know, uh, angry, disappointed, proud, amazed, you know, you know, half were good and half were bad. And, uh, and that was a question of how do you feel when you're looking at your kids and the the parents were for the most part the the the, the five top adjectives were all the good ones amazed proud yeah. um, surprised delighted and I don't think they were surprised and delighted by the academics going on in their home because a lot of people were frustrated and a lot of people were surprised at like how short the lessons were, or how confusing right. it was, to, you know, like you were talking about to, to figure out, you know, this thing is on YouTube, and this thing is on Google, yeah. and what are we supposed to do? And how do we hand it in? But what they were amazed by is the emergence of a, I would say, a, a, a quirkier or maybe more self directed kid than they had seen before, because before there was no time for that kid to emerge. You know, I mean, if you have to, you know, get up early and go to school and then, you know, do your homework and get to soccer and then there's the reading log and don't forget to make the, you know, the diorama. And then the next day it's all the same except for, for soccer substitute piano or Kumon. Uh, all, a lot of kids' days were structured and supervised by someone else, by an adult teaching them something. And so they learned those things. They learned soccer and they learned, you know, Mandarin, but they didn't figure out something that just innately or intrinsically interested them. Everything was extrinsic. Right. And so I just, I, I wrote down a list. So, so on the kids survey, um, it turned out that the kids, uh, we gave them a list of adjectives as well, you know, um, bored, angry, happy, um, sad. I can't remember what all of them were, but I can tell you number one was bored. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, but then, uh, yeah. And, uh, number two was happy. And at the very bottom of the 10 was sad. And I think the boredom and the happy are are two sides of this double helix. Like they never had a chance to be bored. They were, right. you know, they were picked up at 307 and then, you know, deposited at soccer at 322. And then they had their soccer right. practice until five. And then they, you know, got in the car and they were doing their homework or, you know, playing on the iPad. And then they got back and there's time for, a you know, a fast dinner before all the other homework right. and stuff. So. So, um, so when I asked kids, when we, I should say, let grow, asked kids, what new thing are you doing just for fun, you know, not for school? And I'm just going to read you a couple of them. Um, right. I learned about Mayans. I learned how to braid hair, how to clean the toilet, how to draw a SpongeBob, how to roller skate, coding. Corn causes mucus in the body. That was one of my favorites. Um, I learned about owls and where they live and how they hunt. Um, you know, like this one, socialism is bad because you cannot get something for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, really. Maybe it was yours. Um, how to put on a new door handle, how to use a microscope, uh, cooking, singing, reading, how to tie my shoes, tricks on the trampoline, and my favorite one of all, I learned my sister has a boyfriend. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> so, um, yeah. But I mean, it was, it really reminded me of an old fashioned town. The dogs are colorblind. Yeah. I learned how to make noodles. You know, this yeah. thing floats, that thing floats. And, and really, um, that is all education. And we don't recognize yeah. it as such because there's not, you know, it's not an SAT question. What does the corn do to body, you know, to the body? Yeah. Or, you know, can you put on a door handle? Yes or no? Please send a video. And, and yet, think about, so you're putting on a door handle, you're learning how to, how to use a tool, right. how to figure out what hits, how to um, deal with the fact that now it's turning backwards, <laughs> and how do yeah. you make it go the right way? And so that's frustration tolerance. It is experiential learning. It is dexterity. It is, uh, you know, seeing a, a something through to from, from ideation to completion. And, you know, when you put it in these sort of boring uh, teachery words, then you can see it. But for the most part, it's 
uh, I feel bad that parents are, you know, are, have been sort of taught like something is educational when there's a test and, you know, when yeah. it's taught in the classroom, when there's a test and when you can see the kid's grade through the school's portal. And in fact, you know, there are, there are societies, you know, before ours and in some places still that don't even have a word for, for, for play versus learning because, when you're a kid and you're watching what adults do and you're imitating them, that's really fun and you're driven to do that. But by the way, so is it play or is it learning? And we have separated the two so far that when we see kids doing something just for fun, we don't even give them or the, or what's happening any credit. And so the, the thing I would love parents to sort of relax into a little bit is that when your kids are doing something just for fun, and that includes some video games where you're learning, yep. you know, strategy and cooperation and you're having a social emotional connection to your friends on the team, yep. or you're learning frustration tolerance because it's hard to get to the next level and you do have to put in, my God, my kids are putting a lot of time in, uh, you know, working yep. your way up from, from, you know, level A to level B. Those are, those are not nothing. And They're so not, even yeah. for you, your, your kids are struggling, you know, if, if you had to take your kids out for a while, or if your kids get bad grades for a while, because they're just not going to hand in these things, because it's too hard to, right. you know, you can't hand in a printout, and you can't use, you know, you're having trouble with the online portal. You know, remember that all education is not school. And, That's right. and um, you know, watch what your kids are getting into and give them the time. And if you have you know, I'd say don't get so much into what they're doing that it becomes your project rather than theirs. You know, like, oh, I see you like to draw SpongeBob. Let's download all the Disney characters and everybody from Nickelodeon. And then, you know, and each day you can draw three of them and I'll give you a gold star. That's that's <laughs> sort of taking it away from them. Right. And so if you can, um, you know, on the other hand, if there's some art supplies around or if you've got some yeah. blank sheets of paper, uh, which apparently you do since you can't print out any of your answers for your yeah. kids uh, tests. Um, you know, do that. And um, that's it. I mean, in a way, we've had so much school that we we missed the other part of education. So now we're going heavy into the self-directed education. Well, you know, this is incredibly, I, I will say personally, it's if, if I weren't on a podcast right now, I'd probably burst into tears because um, that, that's it. That is incredibly <laughs> helpful to me because I am stressing and I am a little bit helicoptering on their education. You know, I am a little bit hover-like and I can mm -hmm. see that I'm not using the skills I have as a, as a free ranger in terms of play and learning or in like experiencing life. Um, I'm not free ranging mm -hmm. with school. I'm really hovering. And this is very instructive mm -hmm. for me. And it's interesting. I talked about, you know, how I thought you really started a revolution for raising kids, but this is in some ways, this coronavirus and school shutdowns and just the togetherness, the constant togetherness um, is really, mm -hmm. it, it's interesting how it might also, we may see a bit of a revolution in parenting and in terms of sort of how kids learn. And I hope so, because, mm -hmm. you know, I, this has been a learning curve for me too. And I really think that, um, you know, I, I, when I think about that list that you provided, you know, my kids have baked bread. They all know how to make their own breakfast because, you know, I wow. work, I work in the morning and I say, you get up and you take care of yourself where it used to be. They came down, we have this little breakfast bar mm -hmm. and then I would make their breakfast mm -hmm. and then I'd pack their mm -hmm. lunch and then they'd get ready. And the husband would make sure they got dressed and down and pack their backpacks. And then I give them their lunches. And we had this very strict routine. And now I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, and it, you know, it's not a restaurant, get yourself a bowl of cereal, make yourself some toast. But mm -hmm. one of my, my, my son's favorite accomplishments is that he can make an over easy egg. And, and I know that's that, really hard. That is really hard. I know adults, you know, you know, yeah. on some of these cook on some of these cooking shows, you know, they, they tell mm -hmm. the the person like make a perfect either sunny side or, or but really over easy because it's the flipping. Can yeah, you, sunny can side you, is not, yeah, sunny yeah, side is like you, half of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you can flip it and not break this delicate egg yolk, right? So that right. is just a, a huge accomplishment. And basically the reason he learned to it do is. it is because I was too busy. Make your own dang egg, right? right. Was the, was right. the sort of mantra right. for me. And so it is really important that parents 
remember. You know, it used to be, you know, I, I read all the Laura Ingalls Wilder books when I was little. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, that yes, of course they walked to school and they, they had a one room schoolhouse, but you know, she did an awful lot Mm -hmm. of chores with Pa and Pa gave her an awful lot of things to do. Mm -hmm. Same with, you know, I just Mm -hmm. read, um, where the red fern grows with my youngest and you know, this kit, I mean, did you, have you read that Lenore? No, I haven't. Okay. Now that is like, I I just recently read for the first time, like last year, um, little house on the prairie and, and, Tell me about where the red fern grows, and then I will remind you about something about Little House on the Prairie. Okay, that, um, okay, you got wrong. Well, okay, you should go. you should definitely read where the red fern grows because this is about a young boy. Okay. I think he's probably thirteen, fourteen, maybe twelve. I don't know, but he's around that. He's mm-hmm. a very young boy, and he saves up his own money and walks to town to buy mm-hmm. two. Ca- coon hounds and you know these are the these are the, like the hunters and 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 right. he uh, you know the hunting dogs are you know, they make that that crazy noise <laughs> and and he would um he hunted raccoons how do you know that from a book uh, well, they, they actually, they, they write out that sound. And then it's so funny. I read it to the kids and then we heard a coon hound in the, in, in the neighborhood. And I'm like, Oh my God, we were all making the sound. Cause we were so excited to actually oh, hear an wow, actual, wow. you know, coon hound. Mm-hmm. So they, they, and they're, they, they hunt raccoons and the raccoons would go mm-hmm. into a tree and they called it, tr- they, they, tr- when the, when the they hound fight, the they yeah. well, they bark at the raccoon. They they can kill the raccoon. Anyway, so this boy would skin them, and he'd sell. You know, this does not take place in 2020. Okay, this takes place in like mm-hmm. you know 1920. And and he'd mm-hmm. sell the pelts, and he made his own money. Mm-hmm. And his and there were moments where his mom would get very nervous, and there were some terribly one one boy actually dies. Um, in the book, it's, it's a really exciting book, but I mean, talk about ultimate free ranging and talk about a kid Mm -hmm. who learns his Mm -hmm. limits and who takes risks. It's a fabulous, fabulous book. I don't remember what the point of this story was. I don't remember why I told you that I read that. You know, I think it was that he was getting a lot out of, um, that he was doing and the saving of the money and having a goal. Right. And he didn't, he didn't attend any, he didn't, he, there was no conversation. There was no discussion of uh, schooling and, and arithmetic Mm -hmm. and things like that. But but my goodness, this, this kid (laughs) was learning a tremendous amount about life. So tell me about the little, so you just read Little House? Yeah, I just read Little House on the Prairie. And um, first of all, what a great book. I really, really enjoyed it. And secondly, they weren't going to a schoolhouse. They were going nowhere the year right. that the Little House on the Prairie book occurs. It's right, it, right. after they had left Wisconsin. Maybe they'd been going to school there. And before they move on, um, because that Little House on the Prairie, I hate to be a spoiler, but people, they leave it. And they're going on to their next yeah. adventure afterwards. But So that's a year when basically she and her sister, uh, you know, I'd say like eight and six years old. And then they have a little baby sister, like yeah. two or three you know, go outside and they chase the the prairie hens, whatever those are. And sometimes they go with their dad places and sometimes they do a little, you know, sweeping of the chimney or the hearth or whatever. Right. But mostly it's, it's, it's free time. And look at that. That's the story of a woman who went on to write one of the best selling right. series of all time. Looks like she missed an entire year of school. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right. Right, right. You know, right. we're really, we really believe that, you know, second grade must follow first grade and, and then third grade must come and you have to learn certain things by certain milestones. And, you know, yeah. the, the portals that parents have now, you not only see their grades, you see how they did every day behaviorally right. and how they did on each spelling quiz. And it, it is, it is micromanagement of a very narrow band of learning that we have exalted above the rest, and I don't even think teachers think that that's all there is for kids to learn. Right. You know, right. I think kid, teachers love to see children blossoming. So, so I have to I have to put in a word here for one of the Let Grow initiatives is um, a free project for schools, or it can be done at home. It's called the Let Grow Project. What a clever name! And what it is is it's just it's telling kids that your homework assignment is to do something on your own. And when a school sends that home, either by remote learning or in class learning, and there's this little piece of paper that goes home, it makes it, it does two things. First of all, it pushes the parent to do something, right? We were talking about how behavior change is really the the catalyst for all change. So, um, 
you know, the kid says, well, I want to walk the dog. And, uh, you know, maybe it's too dangerous a neighborhood. No, but you can cook dinner. You can, you know, do your over easy egg or whatever. So they're going to do something independently. So and then it also frames it for the teacher and for the for the parents as this is part of their education. And I just have to tell you a little story about a third grade teacher who did this actually at Title I school. Title I is where um, a lot of kids get free or reduced reduced lunch. There are a lot of immigrant kids at this particular school. And he said, but by third grade, you can often tell who's going to sink and who's going to swim at school. And I didn't know, realize it happened that soon, but he yeah. said it does. And, um, and yet when you, when you, you know, introduce the Let Grow project, everyone can swim because, okay, you're struggling with multiplication, but you learn to take, you know, ride your bike without your uh, training wheels. And this right. kid learned how to, you know, make tortillas. And this kid taught her sister, you know, how to do a cartwheel. And this kid, there was one kid who came in every week or so and told the class what was happening with his, um, he was making an amphibious vehicle out of a little trike <laughs> truck. And, you know, and oh, what happened this week? Well, it sank, but next week I'm adding the noodles. What happened this week? Well, I added the noodles, but then one fell off. Now what? So, so you could succeed, even if you're a bad, quote unquote, bad student, you're, you have all these other assets yes. and interests and curiosities and capacities that are never celebrated at school because they're not something that's on a test and it's not something that everyone is doing the same thing. But so, so all these kids would like bound up the stairs to tell Gary, this amazing teacher, you know, what they had done for the Let Grow project. School becomes a place, even for those who are struggling, a place of success because you can right. say, hey, I got the thing to float, you know, and the motor's working or whatever. So so it allowed the kids to succeed. And then the other sort of surprise benefit for Gary was that um, a lot he doesn't speak Spanish and a lot of the parents of these kids um, don't speak English. And and so there was very little communication uh, between him and the families. But once the Let Grow project was introduced, then the, the actually a lot of the dads started texting him photos. Look, this is my daughter making the muffins, right? This is my son helping me. Here's the hammer. You know, he was painting the room or whatever. And, and boys making muffins and girls hammering, you know, let's yeah. not say but, but, but the point is that suddenly even it was sort of like, who's going to sink or swim as parents, <laughs> you know, and right. they all got a chance to swim. And so now because of remote learning, we have the, uh, it's called the Let Grow Independence Kit which is yeah. the same oh, thing. It's a list great. of ideas of things that kids can do at home, but everything's free. Um, an, ex- an explanation to the parents that this is learning, you know, and a little form that if the kids want to fill out, looks like a leaf, you know, I did this and here's how I felt and here's what worked or whatever. So um, that's it. I just want to say that there is all this learning that we've forgotten about, all the Laura Ingalls Wilder and where the red fern grows and third graders at a Title I school learning that can go on once we sort of widen our vision away from learning is only what's on the worksheet. This is just so encouraging, Lenore. And um, before I, 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 I conclude this podcast, which honestly, it's very hard to because I write notes. And <laughs> I, 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 write, I write notes and I've got about 17 things to follow up on <laughs> you know, questions. I have, and I, I have notes too. I know. Hollywood written, the toxic sentimentality we haven't turned out. My favorite was uh, frustration. Uh, what did you say? Fr- frustration tolerance. Right, I mean, is that not right. is yeah. that not just the the key phrase for this entire last four months? So, uh, both for kids and uh, wait, and for. I, I said, okay, go on. I'm I'm sorry. I just wanted to jump in. T- frustration tolerance is also what your son has learned making eggs over eggs, easy because they exactly. can't always work. Right? Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I have learned frustration tolerance, um, <laughs> allowing him to, because this is the thing, and yes. I, I will I will end it now, but I will tell you, I am a, a little bit of a nut on cleanliness and organization. And so when uh, I say, oh, you know, they would come and sit down at the breakfast table and, I, you know, that wasn't a chore for me. That was a control thing for me. I was able to, because there's plenty of parents who like get their kids up from school and say, you know, get yourself ready. I, I know parents who, who just sort of wave goodbye from the bed, okay, to their kids who are off to school. And so, you know, part mm-hmm. of it was a control thing for me. And so it's been a, a real challenge to sort of let them make a bit of a mess in the kitchen. And, you know, I'm trying to explain mm-hmm. to them they need to clean up. But um, but it's mm-hmm. been, it, that's been a bit of frustration tolerance learning for me as well. Um, 
But mm-hmm. I really do think that this podcast has been so helpful, just frankly, to learn more about your movement and and also to this will if for the parents that are tuning in, it will really help them mm-hmm. remember to it, the, a perspective is a, a very big thing for me with this podcast. At the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. I always um I oh and I have one today. I always talk a little bit. I give mm-hmm. some historical perspective. Basically, I tell horrible oh. stories mm-hmm. of things that happened to children a hundred years ago, so that parents kind of mm-hmm. remember mm-hmm. that put things in perspective. Like, for instance, talk about mm-hmm. crime. What was crime like in the 1970s? Not good, right? So, um, mm-hmm. so that's that. That is one thing is is um, is giving parents some perspective on this during the you know COVID 19 school shutdowns during all this you know sort of staying at home and mask wearing that um, that mm-hmm. you know kids learn in other ways. So I really want to thank you. If you can just before we hang up here, if you could tell you know mm-hmm. everyone where to where to reach you and where to find all your stuff and talk about a little bit about reaching you know going to the Let Grow website. That'd be great. Oh, sure. So I would say go to the Let Grow website. What a good idea. Um, <laughs> Let Grow is L-E-T-G-R-O-W dot org, although we did get dot com. So you'll, you'll get to us either way. Um, if you want to write to me, if you have a story or a question, I love especially hearing stories of growth. Um, but I'm open to anything. It's Lenore, L-E-N-O-R-E at letgrow.org. And uh, that's it. The Let Grow Project and the Let Grow Independence Kit are there or if you write to me and you want me to send you the link okay uh i will it's really easy and like i said everything's free so we're a nonprofit, and we are just dedicated to making independence uh recognized as an important part of childhood because without it we feel that kids are you know not getting everything they need and to make children who are growing up thriving and um you know a little bit curious a little bit spunky uh giving them independence especially during uh covid seems like a great idea Lenore, thank you so much um, for coming on. I am I I I hope not to bug you too much, but I'm probably going to ask you to come on a lot because I think um, I feel like this is therapy for me. <laughs> and um, why, why don't we just call it for what it is? You, know, you probably won't even air this, right? It's just uh, you know. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. It. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is this is I get I actually get paid a salary to you know to have like to do this and right. then. I get, I get therapy on the side. This is all a lie. I'm actually just on the phone with you. Tim, (laughs) Tim, the producer hung up uh, hours ago. So anyway, um, (laughs) thanks. uh, Thanks for coming on and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you, Julie. I love talking to you too. Thanks a lot. So I think this, uh, that, that conversation with Lenore really is a nice segue into, to how I'm going to end the podcast today, which, um, I've, I always end my podcast, um, with a little, uh, bit of, uh, historical, uh, perspective here. I think it helps people sort of realize that we've got it pretty good nowadays. And so it was interesting. I was looking at, um, you know, the school closures and I was curious how, how it was handled in 1918 during the Spanish flu, um, another global pandemic. And I found this article in the Washington Post, May 13th, called During the 1918 Flu Pandemic, At-Home Learning Meant Little Schoolwork. So I think this will be a little reassuring and, again, is a nice uh, a, a nice tie-in with what Lenore was saying. Um, so the the Washington Post reporter interviewed Debbie Schaefer Jacobs. She's the curator in the Division of Cultural and Community Life at the Smithsonian. And, and she says that teachers probably sent reading assignments home, but schoolwork was minimal. And again, it's important to know that schools did close. They fully closed um, during that, the 1918 flu. Um, so she said again, that teachers probably sent reading assignments home, uh, but school work was minimal. If students wanted to practice spelling, they used alphabet or speller boards. I'm not really sure what that is, but they were a popular learning toy at the time. And then she says outside of school, kids kept busy with chores. Many children also had jobs from delivering newspapers to helping on farms and even working in factories. That began to change in the 1930s. I think that's a good thing when the government enacted laws regulating how much children could work. But it is interesting that in those days, learning was different. Teachers probably saw that, that okay, I'm going to send some reading home, maybe, um, maybe some, you know, some lists of books that they should be reading. Many kids probably read the Bible, 
Um, but again, teachers probably recognized that kids were going to learn in other ways by actually doing work and chores and things around the house and around the farms. Um, so I hope that offers, uh, that offers you a little reassurance. Um, obviously schools are doing a lot more. We may not agree with, uh, with the form, uh, that it, the, the, the way in which it's being done, but certainly there's a lot more instruction given to kids than, than, than there was a hundred years ago. Um, so I think that that's a nice way to, uh, to conclude this, this podcast today. Thanks everyone for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. 